0: Corinthians chapter 11 we're picking up in verse 17 here today it's where we left off last week and and Paul has been laying out for us here uh, some things that have not been in order in the church how some things have been out of order in verses 1 to 16 we looked at how the order that was to exist between men and women in the church we're a bit out of order we looked at that just glorious wonderful passage of women wearing head coverings in church weren't you blessed by that I'm glad you're back here today that was a little bit worried I'm like not sure some of you obviously did not listen though because you're all still naked heads here but that's all right well no you did listen and you knew head coverings not needed but uh, we're done with that we're not going to get in anymore we're done with it we won't cover that again for another 12 or so years so that's good we're going to move on now um, but that was a good, a good word for us and there were some things again just in the order right uh, and, and in the headship the, the order that God has ordained here in the relationship of man and woman that was out of order that Paul was given some instruction to well now in verse 17 and the remainder of the chapter Paul's going to be looking at a different area in the church that has been out of order and that was in regards to the Lord's Supper or as we would call it a communion and there were some things going on in the church that was not good that was revolving around communion so we're going to cover that here today and we're going to look at three things here as we go through this passage we're going to see the problem at the Lord's Supper we're going to look at the picture in the Lord's Supper and then we're going to see the potential penalty from the Lord's Supper those are the three things we're going to Break down this passage in it. Paul writes in verse 17 Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Now, remember at the beginning of this chapter, Paul had addressed the church of Corinth, the believers there. and and there were a couple things that he was praising them for they had remembered Paul they hadn't forgotten him moved on they haven't neglected Paul there's a care for him he's thankful for that he's expressing that but he's also praising them because they had received the traditions of Paul and they kept them and not traditions of man no, he's talking about the very word of God that he has passed on to the church, the very scriptures that we have today. He says, I've passed these things on to you, and you've kept these things. You desire to live upon them, though there were some things that they were misunderstanding that Paul's bringing correction to. So he's addressed their commendation, but now in. Verse seventeen, he says man there's some things going on that I don't praise you he's going to bring some instruction revolving the Lord's supper that he's not able to say man you guys have done really well in this man I commend you saying I don't praise you in any of this because what was happening was there were divisions going on centered around the Lord's supper and Paul's saying man I I don't need to have my arm twisted to think that that's true right you don't have to argue this because I pretty much understand that this is what happened Uh, i i pretty much believe it because he knows the the condition that's been happening in the church of Corinth. that there's already been many divisions he's had addressed that hasn't he if you've been with us through our series in first corinthians he's already addressed at the beginning of the chapter remember in first corinthians uh chapter 1 verse 10 to 12 how there were groups that were forming around individuals some said we follow apollos no no Some would say, we follow Peter. He's the original Paul. No, no, we follow Paul. He's our pastor. He's the guy that brought the gospel to us. Some would say, oh, no, we're more spiritual than all of you because we follow Christ. But they were doing so in a way saying, we're elevating ourselves above you because we feel we've got the right person. You don't. We're better than you. And divisions were happening. This wasn't a healthy thing. Paul's had to address that. In chapter three, verse three, he says, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And this is what they were doing. You see the church here, and what was taking place around the Lord's Supper is people were behaving in a way where they were serving themselves, thinking of themselves. Paul says in verse 17, that when you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse that ought not to be in the church nobody should be leaving the church feeling more bummed out than when they came oh I understand there might be times where the word really hits you and it's convicting and you're walking out heavy but you're also going Lord I need to hear that help me in that but nobody should be leaving church going man that was a, a real downer here people were really you know mean and and not nice and and here in Paul's day he's saying man you're coming together has been not for the better but for the worse and this is something that Paul's been building on in the last few chapters right from chapter 8 he's been building that case to say there are times where you might need to lay your own self down or your own freedoms liberties and rights you might need to lay those things down for the betterment of other people right there in verse tw- uh, sorry verse 24 of chapter 10 let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being Verse 33, just as also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Paul's been building a case to say, you need to be considerate of others. You need to be aware of, uh, of maybe needs around you and how we can be serving one another. But Paul says this has not been going on there at Corinth. And it's been evidenced and demonstrated around the Lord's Supper. People were. Thinking only of their own needs and wants and not considering others listen coming to church is not about you just having a good experience and being ministered to oh I I hope you do experience those things don't get me wrong I hope that you leave here more blessed and encouraged but church is not just about you feeling good and having your needs met Church is about you coming and serving and giving and ministering to others. Sometimes people can get this idea like, oh man, that church just really wasn't a good fit. Yeah, they just weren't really meeting my needs, right? Or, you know, I didn't really like the worship there. It was just a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Just wasn't really a good fit for me. Church should not be centered around you. Thank you, there you go. Well done. Somebody calm that man down in the back. He's getting a little carried away there. Wow. Good job, Josh. Good job. Josh lost a bet with me, so that was good. All right. So, but so oftentimes, we make church about us when, yes, I, I pray that you are leaving, being ministered to. As we come together and center ourselves around the word of God as we hear from the Lord, Oh, that is going to minister to us. I pray that we're growing in Jesus. But when church becomes more about your gratification than it does about glorifying God, then you're coming not for the better, but for the worse. That's what was going on in the church at Corinth. Paul has heard (laughs) that this church. That was good, Josh. You just cracked me up. Sorry, man. That was good. All right. Paul has seen now the divisions that were being created and what was going on and, and notice what he says in verse 19 this is interesting he says for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you yeah, wait, wait a second Paul hold on what are you talking about here there must also be factions among you that, that this is a good thing we want divisions I don't think anybody's going you know that church at Riverside man they're that's a great church but you know they're really lacking on some factions I think they really need a bit more divisions going on there I don't think anybody's saying that. And nor is that really what Paul's getting at. Don't don't read this the wrong way. What he's saying is that as a result of people living carnally, living for themselves, sin popping in the church, the inevitable result of that is that there's going to be divisions. There's going to be some kind of disorder. But you see, when that happens, it's also going to reveal those that are genuinely serving the Lord, those that are truly His. That's what he says there at the end of verse 19 that those who are approved, Those who are of Christ may be recognized among you that it may be evident those are truly his that's what Paul is getting at it's serving a purpose so it's not something we wish for or desire but it's serving a purpose and kind of weeding out the you know wheat from the chaff here so Paul says there must also be fashion he goes on to say in verse 20 therefore when you come together in one place it is not to eat the Lord's Supper for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others and one is hungry and another is drunk and when you notice something here a phrase that Paul says in verse 20 for the third time now he said it in verse 17 he said it in verse 18 he's going to say it again in verse 33 and in verse 34 what is that phrase? when you come together in one place do you see what the practice of the early church was was to come together to gather together. To be as one body, worshiping the Lord, being in the Word of God, praying together, breaking bread together, as Acts 2.42 tells us. This was a common practice that was happening. Nobody there in that day is sitting and saying, you know what? Uh, you know what? We're we're pretty good at home. Our family's having good devotions at home. We think we're just gonna stay back here. We're kind of just in a season of just ministering to ourselves here. We're just gonna kind of do church. Nobody's doing that they saw the importance of gathering together and Paul alludes that five times in the section that we're in here today saying when you come together in one place being together as a church long before the Beatles made that the cry come together right now the church was far ahead of them doing this already and that's important for the church my friends to be together I'll leave it at that now one thing the early church would do as they would come together was they would share together in a common meal. That was a big part of being together. They would come and they'd have a, a common meal together. It was called the, the Love Feast or the Agape Feast. And that was a very central um, part of what they did. And attached to that Love Feast was this time of communion, coming to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper together. So the Love Feast was where they would come and they would, you know, Bring food from home and they'd bring what they can and, and share it together they'd, they'd pool all their goods together and everybody could come and enjoy in this common meal together and that was you know a, a very important thing in that day we've done much the same in church life today only we call it potlucks right I don't know why uh, I mean everybody brings a pot of who knows what, and we're all hoping for good luck. Nobody's going home sick after eating whatever is in there. We don't know what this person's feeding us. So like, Lord, just help us through this potluck here, I guess. But that's what we've done too in church life. And all originally, right there in the early church, this is a common thing that they did as they gathered together. And so they'd enjoy a meal, and And in this time that Paul's writing this, it was a very significant thing because remember, it's, it's in the church that, uh, for the first time, we were beginning to see social and economic, you know, um, levels in, in line sort of becoming equal. As people were gathering together, remember in the Roman Empire, millions and millions of slaves who didn't enjoy some of the privileges of other people. Suddenly, as people are coming into the church getting saved, they're finding out, like, oh, we're all one in Christ we're on on equal ground and equal footing here so slaves are coming in and they're suddenly now able to be at one with people that were at a whole different you know status level previously and some of those slaves are coming in going man this common meal this this love feast man that's like the best meal I get all week I can't wait for that this is going to be good but what Paul is saying here is that people were kind of coming in and serving themselves, being selfish at the love feast. those that were bringing lots of food, props were coming and saying, "Oh, I'm jumping to the front of the line. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather all the good food right now." And others are being left out. People were picking out, people were getting drunk, people were getting hurt, and it was just a shambles of what this whole time was to be. So that when they got to the love feast, or when they got to the communion part of it, they were not doing so in a right way. There was a real lack of love at the love feast. And Paul's calling them out on that. And it's interesting that communion was observed after this meal because that's exactly when Jesus instituted communion for us, isn't it? It was after that Passover meal that he enjoyed with his disciples. The night before he was to go to the cross, he had that Passover meal with his disciples. And then after the supper, he said, Hey, this bread that we're enjoying, this bread is my body. This drink is a picture of my blood. We'll get to that in a second. But Jesus instituted communion after that meal. But by the time this church got to communion, they were too drunk, too sick from picking out to really observe that in a proper manner. It was not a good scene and definitely not what communion was all about. Paul kind of responds a little bit of kind of righteous indignation here in verse 21 or 22 when he says what do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of god and shame those who have nothing what shall i say to you shall i praise you in this i do not praise you there's no room for paul to commend the church he was completely kind of beside himself at the behavior of many in the church there and how they were responding how they were treating one another how they were only thinking of themselves and not caring about the needs of others and completely missing what this time of communion was to be all about so paul is going to take some time now to instruct them on what communion is really about and we see here now that the picture in the lord's supper it says in verse 23 familiar passage for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "Take, eat; this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me." So Paul says, "These are instructions that I received from the Lord. This is no doubt by divine revelation that that the Lord has just imparted this truth and reality for Paul to pass on to the church of." Of what communion is all about and to remind us the the observance of these things this is no mere exercise that Paul just felt this sounds like a good idea to me say no I've received this from the Lord this is for us to observe and and grow from now now remember as I've alluded to already today the communion the Lord's Supper had its origin in the Passover meal Jesus instituted that with his disciples there and as the disciples sat with Jesus at the table Jesus took that bread that they were enjoying and he began to link that to himself he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me now the passover meal remember had great significance to it already right cuz Jewish families were to observe that and they had been observing that for centuries annually It was a huge celebration because they were remembering the great deliverance of God in freeing the people of Israel out of Egypt, out from a life of bondage and slavery and brutality. And they're remembering how God miraculously spared them of that, delivered them out of that lifestyle, brought them out into a new life, a new territory with God. And remember as they were called to leave Exodus, they were called to prepare their bread, but to do so without yeast why so because they were to make haste fleeing out of Egypt they were not to take time and wait for that bread to rise don't use any yeast for that you're to move quickly but what's interesting is you remember what that yeast became a picture of in scripture it became a picture of sin see it's as though Jesus is saying the only way now that you're truly going to be delivered from sin is through my sacrifice Jesus begins to fill this in in an even more complete way because sin ravages lives it leaves us broken desolate but Jesus would be broken for us his life would be sacrificed that we could now gain life in and through him what a contrast that spoke of in light of some of the believers there at Corinth that Paul's addressing that were coming to the table selfishly self-serving looking out only for themselves but jesus comes and he models sacrifice selflessness he says my life has been broken for you he lived to bless others so jesus says do this now in remembrance of me think about the great work that he did on the cross to redeem you and give you life let it be a time to Think of your brokenness and your need for salvation because he did this for you. So it'd be a time to remember his great love and grace. In like manner, Paul writes in verse 25, he also to the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, what's interesting is, it says after supper he took the cup he took the cup there at the passover meal the passover seder seder simply means order or arrangement because as they observed passover as they did annually there was a kind of order to the whole meal in observance of the things that God had done in in commemorating and celebrating the great deliverance of God there at the passover meal there were four cups that they would partake of the first cup was the cup of sanctification the second cup the cup of deliverance the third cup the cup of redemption and the fourth cup is the the cup of praise that kind of concludes the the Passover Seder if you've never been to Passover Seder I encourage you to go we've done many of them here Uh, next time we do one if you haven't been to one plan to come out because it's so rich to see all the things that have been observed but how they all just so wonderfully point to Christ because what Jesus did is after supper he took the cup what cup was that that was the third cup the cup of redemption Jesus links the cup of redemption to say hey this cup now is the cup of the new covenant in my blood in a sense saying I am through my shed blood providing that completion of redemption for you and to you you're not saved unless you come through me you're not redeemed you're not right with God unless you come through me in the work that I've done for you This cup signifies now my blood of the new covenant. He was saying redemption is now complete. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus says it's only through my shed blood by which, by which you can experience that fullness of redemption salvation forgiveness of sins Jesus through his sacrifice ratified this new covenant well what is the new covenant well it's laid out for us in Jeremiah first of all Jeremiah chapter 31 starting in verse 31 saying this behold the days are coming says the lord when i'll make a new covenant with the house of israel and with the house of judah not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day that i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt my covenant which they broke though i was a husband to them says the lord his people previously in the old testament it was you know through the law it was through the sacrifice of animals but those animals could never remove that sin it covered it it appeased god but it could never remove that sin they had to continually offer sacrifice after sacrifice in trying to observe the law they recognized we keep falling short we'll never do it because the law simply exposes our own sinfulness and our inability to live up to God's standard of righteousness through the old covenant we simply were revealed that we can't keep it in fact that's what it says they broke it we couldn't keep it that's why we needed a better a newer covenant a covenant that's not relying upon us but it's based on what Jesus has done for us you see when Jesus died on the cross remember what happened in the temple There in the temple, the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant sat, where the very presence of God was seen. And it was in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt, that only the high priest could enter into, and then only one day of the year. And that Holy of Holies was separated by a great veil from the holy place. And the holy place only the the priest could go into. That was only for public. We were kept at a distance from the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, remember, it says that that veil was torn from top to bottom. Suddenly, we had access in to that which we were previously restricted from. Jesus, through his Death and his sacrifice and the work he did opened the way for us to be in relationship with God, to be in a right relationship with God that wasn't dependent upon us, but was now fully dependent solely upon what Jesus has done for us. We now can be in relationship with God. The new covenant was introduced through the cross of Christ and by the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Whenever you partake of this cup, Do it in remembrance of what Christ has done for you and accomplished for you. Just think of where you'd be if Christ had not gone to the cross for you. Every single one of us needed it. Nobody was good. Nobody was able to say, oh, I come on my own merits. Oh, I'm right with God because just look at me. How could he refuse me? Look at how good I am. Look at how holy I am. Nobody can can say that. We needed a savior. Jesus is that savior for us. He's the only one that brings us in our right standing with God. And so communion becomes an opportunity to say, oh man, I would be so lost without you, God. But thank you, Jesus, that you've made the way, that you provided for the forgiveness of my sins that I might have life in you. But notice what else communion does. Look at what Paul says there in verse 26 for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes you see communion is not just a looking back as important as that is we recognize that Jesus died because sin brings death and the wages of sin is death there needed to be the penalty paid for our sin, but Jesus took that penalty for you and for me and he died that death that you and I deserve to die he died to pay the penalty for our sin and to take the judgment of God that we deserve that we could be spared from it he died yes we proclaim the Lord's death but we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes meaning this Jesus didn't remain dead dead people can't move we're not looking for dead people to do something for us no but Jesus is alive today he defeated death he defeated sin he defeated hell he defeated the enemy and he did that for you and for me and he's coming back again and so communion is not just a memorial it's a celebration now of hope and expectation that jesus is coming again and when he comes again he's going to set up the kingdom of god he's going to reign and rule from this earth where all the old testament promises are going to be fulfilled jesus is doing that josh that's when you stand up and say amen preach it brother (laughs) that was your cue josh but okay you had to go with it early you wasted it okay but you see we proclaim his death until he comes jesus says i will not drink of this cup or this fruit of the vine until i drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom he knows we're going to be enjoying this together forever and ever one day He's coming again. We have a blessed hope, and let communion be not just a memorial, but a celebration. Jesus, you've given us life because you're alive. We have a hope in you now today. Well, lastly, we need to look at the potential penalty from the Lord's Supper because this has caused great concern. And fear for many people reading through this. Let's break this down and bring some clarity to it. Because Paul writes in verse twenty-seven: "Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup." Now, like I said, this verse in this passage we're going to get into has brought a lot of fear and worry to people, wondering: Am I possibly partaking in Communion unworthily am I am I doing this without you know correcting myself right am I unworthy to partake of this can I just reassure all of you here today all of you are unworthy just receive it you're not worthy are you blessed by that but that's the issue is that we recognize we're not worthy We don't come in our own worthy. Nobody can say, I'm partaking in communion because man, I've really been a good solid Christian. I've really just fulfilled everything God wants me to to do. And so yeah, I can partake of this worthily. That's not what Paul is saying even. He's not even saying those who partake of it unworthily. He says those that partake of it in an unworthy manner. This is all about your kind of attitude and your heart in this. You see, we can't do anything to earn this otherwise the sacrifice would have been unnecessary it's all by his grace grace that allows us to come in our flaws and our shortcomings and remember that a sacrifice accomplished it all for us to be forgiven and saved so then who is guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord as as Paul points out here at the end of verse 27 who's guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord those that come who are self-serving who have been partaking these elements in a way where they're not giving thanks to Jesus and reflecting on what he has done for us. Because these emblems, they're just emblems, they're just pictures, but there's significance to them. Don't overlook it. Because to do so is to dishonor the value of Jesus' body and his blood that was sacrificed for us. Whenever we come, And we're just observing in a very ritual or religious kind of mindset. Please don't ever make this just a ritual or some religious ceremony. Please make this very personal and do so in a way of of just giving thanks and gratitude to what Jesus has done for you. That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. But you see, whenever we come to the table and we're just going through it because it's like, oh, that's what we do today. Everybody's doing it. I'm just gonna go and partake of that and and, and down the hatch, you know, and we're just sitting there partaking and going, man, I wonder what we're gonna do for lunch today. Where should we go? Hmm, when's that Popeye's chicken gonna be ready? If we're just thinking about these things or if we're partaking in communion, you know, we're eating, we're like, man, these crackers are just so dry. When is this church gonna get it together? Get something good. How come they're using Welch's juice, man? I hate Welch's. Why can't they use, like my previous church, used real wine? Why don't they get it together? Like if that's your thought in communion, Then perhaps you're guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus because you're partaking of it in an unworthy manner. This should be all about giving thanks and praise to Jesus, not about what you want, not about just doing something in some kind of religious way. That's what Paul's getting at here. And remember the context here this church that Paul's addressing, this church at Corinth. I mean, they were abusing this meal that they were to enjoy together some are coming to the table they're they're drunk some have been you know hurt by the way that others have treated them some are out back throwing up they're not partaking community in the way that they should they're not honoring the Lord in these things so Paul says in verse 20 let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup take some time and realize your need for this Because none of us can be right with God apart from the work of Christ. So have some inward reflection and stop and pause and say, Jesus, thank you that you've provided your life to set me free and to forgive me. You don't need to sit there and feel condemned. Some people have been like, and I just couldn't take a communion today because I've just felt so unworthy. No, it's because you're unworthy that you need to come to the table and receive the grace of God for forgiveness of sin. Don't let sin stop you. Deal with that. Give it to the Lord and partake of communion in honor of the only way you're forgiven of sin and made right with God. But take time and check your heart and partake in gratitude of the one who has made you whole for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep see people are coming to the table like some in the church of Corinth were looking only towards their own interest and showing a lack of love to others they were failing to discern the Lord's body now that has kind of a double meaning because they're failing to Realize the significance of this communion time and what Jesus has done for us. That's being the Lord's body, but what else do we refer to as the Lord's body? The church, you and I. So those in Corinth were failing to discern the Lord's body the church around them they were failing to see the needs that were around them and the care that they should have had for others rather than bypassing other people to serve their own interests they were failing to care for the needs around them and failing to discern the Lord's body not just in communion and partaking in an unworthy manner but by hurting and abusing other people around them and because of that because of that that carnality that was driving much of the church And sin that was unfolding, what's happening? Many are becoming sick or weak and even some were asleep. That's something we see often on Sundays here. But Paul meant something (laughs) entirely different than that. He's referring to those that have actually died. See, if people are continuing on in a sinful attitude or lifestyle, what what does the Bible say? That sin brings death. People were experiencing that judgment. For a lifestyle of sin. Now, remember, we're thankful that the Lord doesn't kind of deal with this in the same way as he oftentimes did at the, at the beginning of kind of a new economy of God or a new institution as he did with the early church when he's forming the church. He wanted genuineness and honesty. And remember, Ananias and Sapphira came in trying to be deceptive and lying, and God dealt with them strongly. Perhaps some in Corinth were being dealt with strongly as this institution the Lord's Supper and, and this you know important sacrament is being observed in the church or are thankful for the Lord's grace but understand that if we continue on in an attitude of sin it's not going to help it's not going to lead to health and vitality it's going to hurt us ultimately and it's hurting some in the church in a very tangible way four verse 31 if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. You know, there are times where we would spare ourselves much if we just took a little bit of that self-examination. It's not to come down on ourselves, but to keep ourselves in check and be sure we're honoring the Lord in what we do. Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24 is a great passage. Again, it reminds us of just searching our heart, asking God to search our heart. See if there's anything wicked in us, having that self-examination. Are there things I need to Bring before you God and and there might be times where you experience judgment as children of God but understand it's not the judgment of God as we know is going to unfold one day but rather it's the Lord coming alongside us to chasten us which is more about discipline and he's doing it to correct and train us so that we won't go the way of the world and experience the condemnation that is due the world for rejecting Christ Oh, there's judgment coming, but the Lord comes to his bride to chasten her to bring correction and discipline so that they can continue to walk in the truth of God's word and not have to experience the condemnation of the world. It tells us in Hebrews 12 verse 5 to 8, I a lot of time to read all this, but God chastens those whom he loves. Verse 6 there, for whom the Lord loves he chastens, he disciplines. As a loving parent comes alongside their child at times with discipline to instruct and encourage to do what's right and healthy for them. If a parent doesn't do that, he's not showing love for them. That's what God does for us, not to hurt us, but to help us and to lead us on the right path for our good. Don't be discouraged when chastened, but rather receive it as a sign of God's love and care for you and let it lead you to him and a walk in the truth that he has for you lastly Paul says therefore my brethren when you come together to eat wait for one another but if anyone is hungry let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment and the rest I will set in order when I come so Paul will have much more to talk with them about we're going to look get into some very uh, interesting things as we continue to look at the order of the church here in the next coming weeks it's going to be good but Paul echoes that same sentiment of just simply coming together in unity in love and in care for one another don't make that meal a time to you know pig out and serve yourself rather serve one another bless one another and above all honor the lord honor the lord and how you come to the table of the lord in, in observance and in remembrance of what he's done for you we're going to partake of communion Today I'm going to ask the ushers to come and begin to hand out the emblems of communion and the worship team can come and we're going to close with a song here. But let this be a time right now where you just kind of settle your heart before the Lord and, and to begin to just thank God for what he's provided for you in and through his son Jesus who sacrificed his life that you could be spared, saved, forgiven, and made whole. We come to the Lord's Supper, to this time of communion, in remembrance of the incredible grace and this gift that He's done. And as the communion is handed out, this is open for all who are believers, whether you go to this church or not. If you're not a believer, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, communion's not for you. But we don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. Because the Bible has made it very clear that all can be saved and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just believing that there's a God, it's coming to the point where you recognize your sin, your guilt before God and your need for forgiveness. If you are here today or you're listening online in the overflow room and you're sitting here today and your heart is just kind of beating and you feel the Lord's just kind of moving your heart because you've not made your life right with God today. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would end up. That can change right now by you stopping what you think is the right thing to do and accepting what God has told you to do. And that is to turn from your sin and to turn to Jesus and to put your trust in Him and by that I mean that you put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And he paid the penalty for that, and he died, he rose again, securing life for you. Not just life today, but life eternally. That's the, that's the free gift of God that he gives you. You don't earn it, you don't achieve it, you simply receive it. Have you received that today? Give your life to Jesus. If you've done that today, or maybe you've been holding off on that and you want to do that right now, then just simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm guilty and I need saving. Come and be my Lord and my savior. Come and come into my life, forgive me my sin. Let your life now be my life. I receive you today. If you prayed that, you become a child of God. And you freely come and partake of communion in remembrance now of what Jesus has done for you.